Today, it's all about creative headshots and portraits with Kirsten Lutz on Behind the Shot. Hi, welcome to Behind the Shot. I'm Steve Brazel, and I've got a great show lined up for you today, as always. The show notes for this show, as with every show, are over at the website, BehindTheShot.tv. Of course, if you want any of the links that we discussed, those are also in the show notes. But if you're on YouTube, you'll find the show notes uh, still on the blog post, but I do have all the links over on YouTube. When you're on YouTube, just head down to the description area below the like and subscribe button, and you'll find pretty much everything that you need. I've got so much I want to get through today that I want to jump into my guest really quick. And first of all, before I bring him on, I have to say thank you to somebody because Mr. Dave Williams, my buddy, is responsible for today's show and introducing me to Kirsten Lutz. Kirsten, how are you, buddy? Hey, man, I'm really good. Glad to be here. It is so nice to meet you. And uh, we have the mutual friend of Dave Williams. I'll tell the story about how how uh, we connected. But first, I just want to talk about you for a little bit. You are, the way I describe your work, you are a commercial portrait headshot photographer. Uh, would that kind of sum up how you describe what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, so that's a very good description. So client wise, it's, it's corporate executives that need headshots and like acting clients. Yeah, it's uh by and large, I think it's, it's predominantly corporate headshots um, and some, some acting clients. It's, you know, I'm situated here in the UK, just outside of London, and I'm surrounded by film studios. So this is like this is the British Hollywood, if you want to call that. So we've got Pinewood down the road and, Ooh. you know, uh, Leaston, which is Warner Brothers, and Apple has a studio not too far from here. So we're surrounded by studios. Well, Pinewood is very, very famous for a number of, of reasons. There's, there's something I want to get through really quick, and then there's something that you said in your bio that I didn't warn you ahead of time, but I need to dive deep into. First of all, the Dave Williams story. So those of you that don't know Dave Williams, Dave has been on the show a couple of times. Dave's a friend, a platypod guy, uh, lives in a van and travels the UK. He's now doing his Due North version two. If you haven't checked out that YouTube channel, you should. But Dave, having been on the show a number of times, sent out an email to both myself and Kirsten saying, hey, Two of my friends that do podcasting, you two should meet and get together. And this is how we ended up doing today is because of people like Dave. How long have you known Dave? Um, I've known him for a couple of years, I think. Yeah. You, you in, in the series we're going to talk about today, you have a whole bunch of shots of him that are so good in the, the three heads in a row. We'll get into that. But let's, let's touch on your bio sure. for a second. Because, and this is going to take a minute, I'm going to read what you wrote in your bio and it's fairly long, but it matters. So you said something in your bio that I find absolutely fascinating and at the same time refreshing. Here's what you said. I'm fascinated by the human expression, capturing fleeting moments and creating emotional responses to imagery, which can most likely be blamed on the following. One, your grandmother who had a family craze and obsession with imagery, print, design, and actually was a photographer, graduated in 1938 as a photographer. Your father, okay. developer of black and white film, repurposed a bathroom, turned darkroom, was also a graphic design enthusiast and print nerd. And then you, yeah. an early adopter of video eight camera format with a childhood spent having video camera surgically attached to your forehead. You were a George Lucas wannabe 
rebelling against two generations of still photographers. And since Star Wars had been made, only the guitar could save you from further damage. There is so much in there to unpack. I want to start <laughs> with you spent decades in the music industry. Yeah, that's, that's, yes, that's correct. I actually studied music um, and I spent a good 25 years being a session musician. Yeah. So playing like what? So I'm a guitarist. Um, so I studied electric guitar um, and, and I used to work as a, as a session musician in, in London in the UK. Um, and then eventually I sort of carved out a little career uh, playing steel string acoustic. So, did you, yeah, so did, did you do it? Is there anything I would know that you played on? Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, especially for the electric guitar work, you know, I used to, um, I used to be a hired, like a hired gun, basically, you know, I used to, I used to play on lots of productions. Um, and predominantly because I think my, my playing style was quite funky. So it's very much influenced by, you know, 70s funk, um, funkadelic, oh, um, George know, all Clinton. that kind of stuff. George Clinton, yeah, big time. And, uh, and so, you know, I used to play on a lot of hip hop, R&B uh, records and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's, you know, it's really an endless, endless string of, so, of recordings. A lot of the time, I mean, actually, you know, the funny thing is I, I used to record, especially we're talking since the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, I used to record so much stuff that, you know, I'd go to a club and I'd hear a guitar and I'd be like, Hey, this, this guitar is funky, man. And I'd be like, wait a minute. I recognize this guitar line. I'd be like, that's me. Oh, that's (laughs) hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it'd be, it just, you know, um, cause London is, you know, as far as the UK music industry is concerned, London is basically the the one hotspot. So unlike the US, you know, we have Nashville and New York City and LA and so on. Um, in, in the UK, really, everything is really condensed into this one spot. And so, you know, there used to be a lot of stuff. I, I mean, there used to be a lot of stuff going on. I'm pretty sure there's still a lot of stuff going on, but I'm not really part of that. You but, know, that, that life but how does one go from literally a family of photographers Mm-hmm. into music and loop back what what brought you from that because obviously you were successful at it what brings you from that back to photography i i need to understand that path yeah. so um i so i grew up surrounded by cameras you know and um you know it's like, like you like you mentioned you know my grandmother started the whole thing back in 1938 and so there's always been cameras around and you know weird flash cubes and all sorts of different stuff. And my dad used to transform our, our bathroom, you know, in, in the apartment in, into like a, a photo lab. And they used to develop black and white film, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, I think as a, as a kid, um, I was really into movies. I mean, I grew up watching Steven Spielberg movies, you know, and Star Wars and, and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, throughout the 80s, um, I, I wanted to, you know, I was fascinated by imagery, but I, I I loved the story aspect to it. And so I thought, you know, video was a perfect medium because it allows you to visually tell a story over time. You know, photo, I mean, stills photographs are, are fantastic. You can tell a major, you know, a lot of 
uh, of a story in one shot or even a series of shots. But the thing about the thing about video is that you can bring another dimension into the whole thing. That's that's you know the fact that a story develops over time, and so you can throw you know you can throw people off and reel them back in and create emotion over time. And I just I was just really fascinated by that. And of course, you know when I when I grew up um, in the eighties, so personal video cameras. Like the technology just made a massive leap forward. You know, my granddad actually used to shoot eight millimeter film, and this was like, uh, you know, these were like s- silent movies. Basically, there was no, there was no, uh, no soundtrack. And you know, as a kid, I remember, you know, every other Sunday or something, we were sort of forced to sit in front of a projector, and and watch his latest like family reel that he'd shot. You know, and I've always found that it was like twelve frames per second or whatever. It was, it was hilarious, but you know. I, I was always fascinated by that. And so, uh, you know, I kind of thought, and I, I actually don't know whether it was a, an active thought process or anything, but, you know, everybody was shooting photos and, and I just, you know, I just thought, actually, I can do some damage with a video camera. And then, you know, I got obsessed by that. And I literally, I filmed everything. I mean, the most boring stuff, you know, like my parents playing tennis. <laughs> Game of Pong. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> when I get up, you know, uh, my mom. It's funny enough, you know, my mom found a, a shoebox of old videotapes. So I, I used to um, film stuff on eight millimeter tape. Wow. Uh, back in the day, and and uh, my mom found a shoebox of old tapes, which was super interesting. Um, you know, she sent it. She sent it over to the UK, um, and I, by sheer coincidence, found an old eight millimeter uh, camcorder. And so I managed to digitize all of those tapes, and it's 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 fascinating, you know, to see my dad, who's no longer with with us, and you know, and my mom when they were younger, you know, they were in their I guess in their early thirties or something at the time, um, and you know, it's just a it's a great window into the past. I mean, nowadays, you know, we're so used to that because we film everything in our phones and everything, but this stuff is it fascinates me because these were just different times, you know. Well, it's interesting because there's so much in there that I want to go through. First of all, the whole motion thing and the 12 frames a second to me, when you look back at it, some people nowadays, like you say, I mean, we're getting 60 frame a second, 4K on a phone, but there's something in my mind magical sometimes about those 12 frame a second, uh, you know, staccato type type film presentation. And, and it's not just the third dimension of video that you add, it's the movement. And I don't mean the movement of the subject. It's, it's the movement and change of angle of the point of view of the audience that you add. And in many ways, this project that we're going to kind of touch on today, your, your three heads in a row, I'll bring it up here in a minute, but it kind of touches on that because effectively what you've got is three frames, right? You've got, you've got a change of scene on these three different shots. It's the same person, but it's each one of these three sets, I should bring it up now, but I'm not going to. Each one of these three sets is so interrelated that there's that expressionary movement to it, which brings me to that line in that bio that I love so much, fascinated by the human expression. It reminds me of, I had Zach Whitford on, who is Aerosmith's uh, tour photographer. And he's kind of the same way in that human nature and human expression and human emotion fascinates him. You know, creating an emotional response to imagery is not a small thing. So my question to you is, 
what does it look like? I don't mean to the audience. I mean, to you, take, take that phrase, creating an emotional response. Make that tangible for me. What does that look like? So there's, there's a number of different things to that. You know, this, this actually comes directly from um, my time as a musician because, you know, people react emotionally to music. Um, you know, they, you know, they hear a song or a piece of music and they have a reaction to it. You know, music can make you cry. It can make you laugh. It can make you, you know, go wild. It can do so many things to L- you. Let me in- interject here really quick. I apologize, but a show that I do here locally, I ad-libbed an opening. It was, I interview local bands. And I ad-libbed the in, the intro to this show, this video show, uh, saying basically that, and that is, we remember the most important moments of our lives by the songs that we're playing at the time. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and it's it's uh, it's always fascinated me how you know you can create something, um, and I'd be you know saying that I've always been very interested in the creation of stuff. So uh, you know the. I'm so fascinated by the process of of creating something. You know, the idea that you start with nothing like thin air and then you have an idea that may be a musical idea or maybe an idea for a video or maybe an idea for a photograph. But then you go through a process and then you end up with something that's that has now come into existence. That's now a tangible thing, you know, like a photograph or a piece of music. And then when somebody else listens to that piece of music or looks at that photograph, it causes a, an emotional response. And I find that really quite fascinating how we can turn something that didn't exist, literally thin air, into something that moves another human being emotionally. Th- you know, that process to me is the, is the fascinating part. I love that. I love that. It, it, this this all kind, uh, kind of leads to you being uh, a creative, let's just call it, on, on many different levels, the video, the... Guitar part is fascinating to me, actually, having been in radio for so long and being a music <laughs> photographer. And then uh, the the still photography, and now you've moved into this world. During the pandemic, you started a podcast with your partner, Nick Kirby. Uh, it's called sure. Camera Shake Podcast. You have, and by the way, Nick is also part of your photography business, right, in some way? Uh, yes, I mean he. Yeah, he he actually was. He's very busy at the moment, so um, he is he's gone off to to do other things. But but yes, we've worked a lot together, uh, okay. both on the photography side and on the video side of, as well, because that's his background. Is he's a videographer? So I was. Uh, I'm looking through the episodes of the Camera Shake podcast, and you've had so many of the same guests that I've had in a totally different format. That's the beauty right. to me of podcasting right? Is I tend to look at it as me and my guest. Like I tell people I'm not interviewing the guest. It's me and the guest interviewing the photo. And then you guys take a totally different road with the same guest and pull out completely different information. So if you've heard a guest on my show that you really liked, go check out the same episode, the same guest on Camera Shake Podcast, and you'll get a totally different window into that person. For those that don't know Camera Shake Podcast, give us the quick helicopter view and where people can find it. So Camera Shake Podcast, you can find it uh, you know, wherever awesome podcasts live, obviously, and all the, you know, the general uh, podcast platforms. Um, we also There's also a, a video version over on YouTube, um, if you're interested. It's youtube.com forward slash Camera Shake. Um, it's, I think the... 
the podcast format is really based on finding out what makes the person behind the lens tick, you know, and uh, and so it's it sometimes gets you know quite personal maybe, um, but it's really just a good old chat and a good old natter, you know, um, amongst people who just kind of nerd out about the same thing, you know, because it's you know. Having a conversation for for a creative person, you're having a conversation with another uh, creative person. That conversation can go on for hours, and a lot of our, a lot of our episodes reflect that because they're literally hours long. <laughs> well, and a good example is today. You know, I, I always try and be really respectful of my guest time, and they they come in, and I'm very okay. So here's what we're going to do, and we just start talking about podcasting and photography. And next thing I know, I'm like, it's really late where he is, Steve. You need to keep going. But it's true. Yeah. You can just get lost in that immediate common ground. I want to. I want to touch on your work for a minute. Your 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 commercial type work. Your clients are using their portraits, headshots, whatever for you know socials, websites, corporate ads, corporate brochures. You know, executive type stuff, actor stuff, yeah. LinkedIn. Here's my yeah. question though. Depending on a corporate person needing something for LinkedIn, an actor needing it for an actual headshot or for a social media profile, or even an executive not needing it for LinkedIn, but needing it perhaps for a brochure, those are, they're all headshots or they're all portraits, but they're all radically different uses. So how do you as the photographer differentiate from behind the camera, the end use of the client? Or for that matter, I guess, do you at all? Um, it depends. I mean, a, a lot of the time, actually, you know, clients come with with a very definitive brief. Um, you know, so for instance, you know, somebody might call up and say, like, I need a new headshot for LinkedIn. Well, in that case, it's pretty straightforward, right? <laughs> you know, um, but what I tend to do is, um, I've actually changed the way that I that I structure my sessions. Um, you know, over the last few years, really, because um, I I started out doing what most people do, where you know, you have different packages, you know, you have like, um, you know, the, the cheapest package, which is like, I don't know, 20 minutes, you know, and you get one retouched shot and then the middle package might be like, I don't know, an hour and it costs this much and you get three shots and then that'd be like the most expensive package was like two hours and totally overpriced and you get I don't <laughs> know, seven shots with that. Right. Um, and you know, the, the, the problem that I had with that, and I've always had that was that, you know, let's say somebody books you for, uh, for 20 minutes you get to the end of the 20 minutes and you haven't really achieved very much because you don't, I, as a photographer, look at, look at, you know, the, the result. And I'm thinking like, I don't like any of these shots, you know, it's like, I'm not proud of where I got to because you the cracked person the I'm shooting. Yeah. I haven't cracked the eyes yet because the person I'm shooting is still nervous. You know, they still, you know, they still look like a deer in the head in the headlights. It's, you know, I haven't really gotten to where I want to get to with that. And so, you know, and then by the time you get to minute 19, you go, oh, shoot, I've got one minute left. What am I going to do? You know, am I going to overrun or, you know, and, and charge them more? Or is this, you know, are we going to overrun and I'm not going to say anything and, and therefore I'm wasting my own time sort of a thing? You know, uh, and so I kind of, I thought, and, you know, it makes, it made me uh, not like doing this. You know, it, it made, I constantly felt like I was working against the clock. And then a friend of mine um, from New York City, actually, you know, we were talking and he looks at my website and he goes like, you know, dude, you, you, you realize you're totally undercharging, right? And I'm like, well, I don't know because, you know, because of where I live and 
the market and all that kind of stuff. And um, and so as we were talking, you know, he said, like, "Well, here's here's what I think you should do. Is I think you should you should not charge by time. You know, you should basically just charge a session fee and then have a per photo fee on top and just make the session unlimited." As in, like, there's no time limit on it. And what that does is it basically, you can then mold it around the client. You can, you know, if somebody comes in and they've got five hours to create a portfolio of headshots, wicked, awesome, totally game for that. You know, because I can I can run through so many different looks and create so many, you know, different angles and whatever um, that I can pretty much be guaranteed that it will be worth my time because the more looks I go through, the more photos they will you know, they will take in the end and, and because I'm, you know, because I'm charging a per photo fee on top of the session fee, you know, I'll, I'll stand to basically make this session worth my while. You're, you're basically creating a scenario where you can create product as opposed to the creation process as the product. But you said something yes. again in, in, it was either your website or your buyer or something that is, you've only got one, uh, how did you word it? You've, you, oh, you only get one shot at it. According to science, you have less than 30 seconds to impress someone. Some studies suggest that you only have seven before somebody makes a judgment, like there's no pressure there. So here's the question. What magic can you what 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 magic do you need to succeed in that seven to thirty seconds? Actually, you don't need magic. You need to really understand the person, and so, which is why you know not this comes back to not limiting the time that somebody is is you know in my in my little studio here um, for a session. You know, one of the most important aspects of that is the ability to actually you know just sit down at the beginning and just have a chat. And, you know, getting to know the person, getting to know what they're like, you know, what they do for a living, you know, where they at. Um, and it serves a number of different purposes. One, you know, one is, and this might be a 10 minute chat. It might, might be a half an hour chat, you know, over a coffee or whatever. Um, it gives me an opportunity to find out as much as possible, you know, about, about the client. Um, and for the client, it just takes their nerves away. You know, we're getting to know each other, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're sort of getting acquainted, you know, um, I'll, I'll talk to them a little bit about the whole process and, you know, because nobody, or the, I think the vast majority of people are just not used to, to be in, in a studio and have lights flashing at you and a big camera in your face and all the rest of it, you know, it's a completely unnatural situation. So most people are going to be nervous. It's, it makes perfect sense. It's a completely normal reaction to a completely abnormal situation, you know? And so, Building up that trust, you know, and building up that little bit of rapport at the beginning is really what what then dictates the end result. Well, which which takes us right into this project of yours. It started out as a personal project, correct me if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. Your three heads in a row, which is at three heads in a row on Instagram. And this is kind of that to me, right? This right here is is capturing one person, like for example, that's Dave Williams there at the top. You're capturing one person, but you're getting them to be comfortable. They're in very unusual scenarios here. And this is this is kind of, to me, the perfect example of what you just described. Explain the inception of this or what, what three heads in a project, uh, three heads in a project, 
<laughs> three heads in a row is is about yeah it's um i mean it started off with a fluke really it was uh you know i was i was trying to create um a profile picture for the about page on my website and so you know i i thought about how what that was going to look like and um and because I had to take a picture of myself, I had everything, you know, on remote control, like I was remotely firing the shutter. Um, and then something went wrong, and I ended up with an image that was, you know, it was sort of mid pose, and my hands were flailing all over the place. And um, and it was a, you know, it was essentially a mistake that when I looked at it, I thought, this is really funny. <laughs> you know, it's not going to work as a picture on the about page. But within itself, it's this is like this is actually a funny shot, and so um, so then I thought, well, you know, wouldn't it be cool if if I could photograph other people like that, you know, and create create those kind of images? But then the next question is like, right, okay, so if I want to get somebody to give me like some weird expressions, I need to really get them to trust me because, you know, I need to build up that trust, you know, so that I can. So that I so that I can push them over the line, and they can give me all of these weird and wonderful and extreme expressions. And the only way that's going to work is if you know I, I build up that trust and the rapport right at the beginning, which is you know which then led me to think like, okay, you know, what if I ask people to choose three objects that mean a lot to them? Like oh, is that how you do it? Yeah, so exactly. Oh. So basically, I said, I'm like, you know, pick three objects that mean a lot to them. Like, you know, again, it could be just, you know, it could be an heirloom that means a lot to you, or it could be something that you use as part of hold your on, profession. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So Dave chose his laptop <laughs> and a pick yeah. and a drone. I love that. Yeah. That's so classic. Yeah, because he, yeah, because he, he um, you know, he, he, uh, he explores the Arctic, you know, in his van, hence the ice pick. Um, he flies drones a lot because he makes videos. And, uh, and of course, he creates photographs and edits videos and stuff, and hence the, you know, the, the pad and, and the, the laptop. Yeah. So it, it tells you a little bit about, because, you know, here's the thing. If, I ask, if you ask anybody to pick three objects, you know, they might pick something that's, that has something to do with what they do for a living. Um, then they might pick something that has something to do with their favorite hobby, for example. And then they might pick a third thing that is just something that they really love, like, I don't know, makeup for women, for example, you know, let's, let's say, or, you know, or, or headphones or mu something that relates to music or whatever, right? And so when you look at this as a triptych or, or a series of three photos, and, you know, you look at the objects they've chosen and the way that they interact with those objects, um, it's, again, it creates another layer. It's a bit like an onion, you know. It creates another dimension of what that person is about. And so the idea really is that across these three pictures, you learn extra information about the subject and you get to, you get to, Kind of, you get to have a glimpse behind the scenes and see what that person, what makes that person tick. You know, that's, brilliant. I think that's the idea. Just brilliant. I'm sitting here thinking I'd pick my diet Just, coke. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'd probably pick my black belts. Uh, I'd probably, I don't know what else I would pick. That is so, that is brilliant. So, let's get into the shot. Before we do, 
excuse me, I apologize. I muted myself for those of you that are on audio. Before we get into it, just one quick note here. First of all, this episode, when it releases, which I think it's going to probably come out December 1st of 2022, we're recording a week or so before that. This episode marks the end of my sixth year doing this podcast. I cannot believe it's been six years. I started on the This Week in Photo Network for about a year and a half or so, took about three months off, relaunched on my own, and I've been doing it on my own since. And it has been, the, the first shows I think went out December 5th of 2016, and it has been so fun. I hope that you guys have enjoyed it. And if you do like Behind the Shot, wherever you get this show, keep in mind, I approach this show first and foremost as a podcast. So it is available wherever you get your podcast in either an audio-only format, if that's your preference, although we are talking about photography. Video does help, and there is a video feed. It's two separate feeds. In fact, if you're going to go leave a star rating or a review, leave it on the one you use, either audio-only audio or video, or if you would, even leave it on both. That's okay, too. And of course, if you're on YouTube, please make sure that you subscribe. And to everybody, thank you so much for the support. Please spread the word and let your friends know, which then brings us to today's photo. And for today's photo, this is one of the shots from a three heads in a row, but I recognize this guy. <laughs> yeah. So how many of these, how many three heads in a row have you done of yourself? Quite, a, I mean, quite a few, I guess. Um, it's, you know, whenever I don't have anybody to sit in and I, I feel creative, I kind of think, you know, I've exhausted my my wife and my daughter's patience. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and uh, and the doc doesn't really want to play ball. Well, he actually he wants to play ball all the time, but that's all he wants to do. So, you know, getting him to sit still is a bit difficult. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, and, and uh, you know, especially when I have a particular idea, um, I might just, you know, get behind the camera or in front of the camera myself, actually, yeah. I don't know what you call this series. I call this series when life gives you lemons. Do you have a name for it? I think that's probably, yeah, that's a, that's a really good description. Yeah. Okay. The other <laughs> two in this series, all the pictures kind of that I'm showing are over at the website at behindtheshot.tv. I've got a gallery of Kirsten's work, so you can kind of see more of what he does. But then also I have some behind the scenes stuff that we're going to show today. There as well, behindtheshot.tv, just, just find this episode. So I want to talk about your... Obviously, studio. The EXIF data shows this at a 200th of a second, F18, ISO 125 at 32 millimeters. There's a couple things in there I want to touch on. You're in manual mode, makes total sense. You're on a Nikon, so you can actually use center weighted average, you know, like a spot metering. Your white balance is set to cloudy manually. Interesting. A Nikon D750 and a 24 to 70. 2.8 is what I saw in the EXIF data. Am I missing anything that's there? Correct, yeah. Okay. No, I think that's spot on. Yeah. So questions on the tech end first, because you're in a studio, you did F18, which, and I'll describe this for those of you on the audio feed, I'll describe this shot in a second, but I just need to know right up front, why F18 is it? Did you want that background to be in focus? You wanted more than just the, the, the subject matter in the front and your face? No, the background wasn't actually much of a consideration in this because the, the background is actually composite. So um, I, I get into that um, in, in a little bit. I think when, when we look at the behind the scenes, yeah. But um, no, the, the main consideration um, on this particular shot um, was that 
I, it was actually down to the post. So, you know, I was holding this kitchen knife um, and I was, you know, I had my arms stretched out. And so the distance between the tip of the kitchen knife with my arms stretched out and my face was actually quite considerable given the distance that the, 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 the camera was at. Okay. And so, you know, um, the, I shoot these at a fairly wide, um, you know, focal focal length. So I shoot them anywhere between 24 and, and 30, you know, mil, give or take roughly. Is there, is there a reason um, you're doing that? You, you want that little bit of distortion in there? Is that it? Yes. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if you think, you know, basically, I mean, you could describe these kind of shots as being slightly comical, a little bit cartoonish, you know, uh, a little bit hyper real, you know, that sort of thing. And in order to bring that across, of course, you know, the expression plays a role, you know, the, the, uh, the the pose plays a role and everything else and the way that people interact. But the focal length is really important in that because, you know, typically in portraiture, you know, we always say like, oh, you know, you shouldn't shoot that wide because you get too much distortion and especially, you know, facial features get distorted quite horrendously. And, you know, that doesn't, it's, it's not a reflection of true life. And that's true unless you want it to be right, right. not a reflection of, of true life. And of course, what, you know, the the whole idea behind uh, creating these kind of portraits is to to create something that's that's not real life you know i mean in this particular shot i certainly didn't slice that lemon in midair <laughs> you know that never happened you know so give well, it away right now or did it but uh so or did it, exactly the the 32 here's i i need to know how close yeah. is the camera to you here so uh the camera is probably about uh it's probably about a me just well maybe just a meter Three away feet from the subject. So, okay. Yeah, so it's like a yard, I guess. More or less okay. Take. Yeah. And manual mode makes total sense. Center weighted averaging makes total sense. Although you're in a studio, you you know you could meter it a million different ways. Why sure. why lock your white balance at cloudy? You're shooting raw. You could change it afterwards anyway, and you're shooting yourself. Yes. Yeah, and I and I do change it afterwards actually a little bit. But um, the one thing I've learned from Chris Knight actually is that. Um, typically, you know, when you're, when you shoot with a flash, you know, you would set your white balance to flash. It's the easy thing to do unless you're doing a custom white balance. It is, but if you set it to cloudy, actually right out of, out of camera, you get a slightly different tone and it just kind of works for me straight out of camera. So I sort of, I'm leading to do that most of the time. So it's different is 5,500 versus 6,500. I mean, it's not a huge difference. Yeah. It's not a huge difference. It's just a tiny little difference. And it, I don't know. <laughs> I, I love just, the richness it, it gave you here. Like it not only gave a richness in the hat and in your skin tones, which it does, but it yeah. changed the denim that's on the shirt, I think, is what your white balance here is is really, it's really comfortable. And I think plays into what you were talking about with the focal length. The, the richness of the colors here really play into that. Uh, let me describe yeah. this for those of you on the audio feed. This is a self-portrait of Kirsten. It is four, three heads in a row on Instagram, and it is a square crop because of that. Although I do have, you'll see in the poster on YouTube, there is a 69 version that, that Kirsten got me. But here's, here's the scene. I'm going to start at the bottom front. The bottom, I'd say it's not a full third. Maybe the bottom eighth or so of the shot is a raw wooden table. Like it's just made out of, spare wood you have laying around. It's got stains on it. By the way, let me just say, and it looks like most of your stuff is done on this, that partially makes the shot. That 
that non-polished look really adds to the shot. Now, Kirsten is sitting behind that. He is, uh, the table is probably belly button high, maybe. He's wearing a long sleeve denim, blue denim shirt. He's got a watch on. He's got like a ring on on, on your wedding ring finger. And he's got this, I don't even know what you call the hat, man. He's got this hat on. It's it's almost like an old 1930s aviator hat. It's like brown leather with like a a brownish, dirty sheepskin looking on the inside. Leather ties, but it's not, you know, because it's got long earpieces, like a dog almost, big long earpieces that you can tie under your neck, but they are not tied. The leather ties are just kind of hanging there on the shoulder. He's in front of what appears to be a gray backdrop. We know now that it's a composite, but still a, a gray backdrop that's very um, affected, let's call it. It's It's got scratches and that type of, you know, a texture on it, we'll just say, like an overlaid texture. Kirsten is dead center in the square, head tilted, his left camera right. And both his hands are rather aggressively, I might add, as though he knows what he's doing, holding a knife, swinging the knife through midair. Now you're wondering, okay, swinging the knife. Did it, is there a blur in the knife? How do you know it's swinging? Well, there's no blur in the knife. It is tack fricking sharp. But the lemon that he's cut in half midair is kind of a sign that it's moving. And here's what to me is so amazing and wonderful about this shot is that not only did he cut the lemon, but the angle of the two lemon halves where you don't see them split top to bottom on top of each other, but they're slightly tilted to where the inside of the lemon is towards the audience, towards the viewer, so that you can see the the inside of the lemon. It actually matters a great deal here. And then there's like juice and pieces of the lemon flying And the lemon, I should say, is, and here's the other thing that I think makes this thing strong. If you think about a rule of thirds with Kirsten in the middle, and the table is not quite up to a rule of third, but will, for sake of conversation, say it defines the lower rule. His eyes are the top rule of third. His left elbow, camera right, excuse me, is the bottom right rule of third. And the forearm and knife make an exact path from the bottom right rule of third up to the upper left rule of third, which is where the tip of the knife and the lemon are. So compositionally, there's a ton, ton working here. What did I miss? Anything? I never thought of it these ways, but it's, I, I love the way you describe it. It's great. <laughs> awesome. It is. So let's start here. Okay. Let, yeah. Let's start with the easy stuff. Mm-hmm. What the hell, man? <laughs> what on <laughs> earth makes you... I, I'm I'm embarrassed to say my mind would never come up with this. And I hate myself for that. What, what made you come up even with this concept? So the idea of slicing um, something in midair, you know, that was something that was rattling around my head uh, for a while. You know, I, I started making these three heads in a row uh, portraits and I kind of thought, you know, and I had like people throwing stuff in the air and, you know, and uh, and that was that's always fun. And I kind of thought, well, what about if I if I would slice through something um, in midair? And so, because I'm slightly addicted to oranges and citrus fruits, like you know, a, a lemon was just a perfect thing. Actually, the original idea I think was an orange, but then 
you know, just from a color perspective, lemons seem to work better. And by the way, I, I smart choice because it adds a huge, a much more brighter pop in the area where you want them to look than I think an orange would have done. Mm -hmm. Really smart. Yeah. So, um, you know, and, uh, that was, the, you know, that was, that was the basic concept behind it. Um, and you know, there's, I, I, again, there's a lot of personality in it. You know, I wear a denim shirt because actually, well, I, I wear a lot of denim, denim. So, you know, it's, uh, it, that's just me. Um, you know, I have a Canadian part of my family. So, um, so the Canadian tuxedo is, you know, <laughs> something <laughs> that runs in the family, I guess. Um, and uh, in fact, the hat is actually uh, is from Canada. I don't know. It's a weird, it's a, it's a weird hat. It's, <laughs> it's, I'm sorry. That hat is, I'd wear that thing. I would oh, wear too. that thing me with too. pride. That is so cool. And I bet you it's warm. Oh, it's so warm. It's, it's gotten so cold over here in the UK recently over the last few days, man. It's I'm totally going to wear this thing. So let's, let, let's get into the, the behind the scenes because you mentioned that the background is a composite. Well, this is you in front of the background. And it's yeah. interesting because I can tell from this that there is a light on that background. So there's yes, a halo. So you didn't completely, I'm guessing, correct me if I'm wrong. And I'll show another one when we get to the, the, the lemon part. But if you're going to completely cut Kirsten out and swap out the background, you wouldn't need a backlight. So my guess right. is that you cut you out, but then you put in overlay on in some kind of a blend mode to be able to keep that halo around you? Did it, it, Yes? No? Yeah, kind of. I mean, basically, I don't cut myself out at all, actually. Um, it's So the, the background is a composite of the, the base color, which is the black backdrop, um, the halo, which gives some graduation to it, and, and it focuses, um, I think it focuses the eye towards the center. Right. You know, um, but that's not the background the, that's behind you in the final shot, though. Yes, it is. It's basically it's exactly that with some blended texture over the top. Okay, so it is. You just added texture. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, color, exactly. So color it's, texture. So the, All right. Yeah, so the graduation that you see in the in the in the final background uh, in the composite, that graduation is actually the backlight. So that's part of the original shot. Okay, um, that makes sense. Yeah, and so. And, you know, because the thing with, with any of, I think generally with composites is to make it appear photoreal, you're actually going to have to have a lot of photorealistic stuff in it, you know, which, which sort of, you know, we, we talk about how I shot the lemon um, in a minute. But, you know, I think to me, it's always important to make things sort of appear as if they were actually really there. And so you have to have some component that's actually really there, you know? Right, right. Yeah. Well, and here, the backdrop, I, I should have described it. It's one of those like a Westcott style five by seven, you you fold it up like a, like a you know, reflector and yeah. it's popped out and it's, it's clipped, uh, you know, with clamps onto a frame behind Kirsten. And then here, and so in this picture, he, you're just holding the knife with that facial expression that I love is perfect. And then here is the lemon, and on this one you can actually see the backlight. What is that backlight? That's a. I think back then I used to use. It was just a Nikon SB nine ten. I think. Okay. Something like that. Just a speedlight, yeah. And you have with, a with dish a, on it of some sort, or. 
Correct. Yeah. This is like, I think it's like a seven inch reflector or something like that. Whatever okay. it is. Yeah. And then the lemon. I have to know, how long did you spend going, no, I need a little more angle on the lemon. I mean, did you just, you didn't stick them up there like this. You, you consciously thought about what angle they were at, I'm assuming. Yes. So really, you know, um, I think, you know, when I, I like making composites, um, but the way I approach it is, is that I approach it with the concept first. So I think about what I want the the final shot to look like, and that then informs the pose, for example, and you know the position of the blade, for example. And so I knew when I was shooting myself, um, I knew where the knife was going to be because I already knew where the lemon was going to be in the shot. And so. You know, and so then positioning the lemon actually isn't really that hard because, because, you know, I mean, you know, you pretty much know where that lemon is going to be, you know, if you've thought about the, the concept in advance, if that makes sense. So, you know, I'm not like shooting a random lemon. No, and you, your knife would place. have to be, your knife would have to be past the point of impact. Yes, right? correct. Yeah. So, so if you want that knife in front of you, the lemon has to be in this case on your right camera left. But then, but then you thought about this. Yeah. And thinking about adding debris was so smart in doing this. And you have a like a tablecloth or something down here. So this is not frozen or anything. This is real lemon parts. No. What is this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just it's pure lemon sludge. Um, my stepdaughter and me went out uh, and bought literally a truckload of, of lemons. Um, so good. And, you know, and then we tried, you know, we experimented a little bit with like scooping out the lemons and then you get the fleshy bits and then you get the, you know, the pips and and the juice, of course, you know. And so we just concocted a little mixture that had, you know, a, a variety of these different different textures in there. And it was just a matter of, you know, figuring out how to actually throw that in the air because because that's another thing. When you throw something in the air and you you shoot it or you photograph it, um, the direction of flight is strangely important. Interesting. So as I'm slicing through the lemon, you know, the you know in real life these particles would they would fly in a, they would they would behave in a certain way, and so for instance, you know. When you're when you're coming to uh, to shooting the composite part of that, when you're throwing something up, if some something that's that's on the way up looks different from the way it looks on the way down, so you're just going to have to get that that timing right between you know throwing some sludge up in the air and hitting the shutter button, you know. So that just took a little bit of experimentation to make that look. So with the end result being this, we know you've got a, a speed light behind you. Looking at the catch light in your eye. Is there is there only one other light? Is it like a a softbox or or a round softbox or umbrella or something above you, but straight on? Yes, correct. So it's it's um most likely a beauty dish. So I used I used a, an octobox at one point, but I think it's it's probably a beauty dish uh, with a diffusion sock, and it's in a typical um you know beauty lighting clamshell like kind of position. So it's positioned um you know right right above my head about you know, a few, I don't know, maybe two foot in front of my head, um, pointing pretty much directly at, at my hat. And, and then the, the main issue with this shot was that because the key light is essentially above, you know, it won't under, it won't light the underside of the knife. And that was a, you know, so there's just a white poster board um, as a reflector, which is underneath, which just throws a little bit of light back up against the underside of the blade. 
I just thought about that. Yeah. So because I was thinking to myself at first, with that light overhead, you don't have much shadow under your chin. So you do have not a reflector, but some white to reflect off. But the thought process on the knife that if that knife was at any different angle, it would have caught the light. Yes. And by having it like this, it's, it's illuminated from ambient light. But it's not, there's no reflection on it, which is really, really good because that could have, now it's, it, it's, it's a prop without drawing attention. It's like, whoa, right? It, yeah. Again, it seems more real. There, there is one thing though. Yeah. This is square. All your three heads series are centered. They're not just square, but the subject is centered in them. Is that your mm-hmm. preference for presentation? Is that just, you knew that this was going to be an, an Instagram centric outlet what was the deal with the square crop to you? Because you could have done these in a standard three-two ratio. Yeah, you absolutely could. Um, I just, I, I just like to do something a little bit different. And you know, when I, when I thought about how I was gonna, you know, present those, um, you know, I thought about, I thought about uh, Instagram as a sort of as a vehicle, basically, you know, and especially at the time, images on Instagram were square. And so that really informed the the crop in general, you know. And then, of course, you know the character in 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 the photograph needs to take up as much space as possible in that photograph. So centering them is the logical thing to do, you know, because because a, a square frame doesn't really leave a lot of opportunity for a negative space in there, you know, really. So, you know, so they're very, you know, because the the subject is the center. Of the photograph, and so therefore it needs to be in the center. Yeah, and and it leaves it leaves less room for the imagination. The the, what the story that you're telling here, for lack of a better phrase, Hmm. is front and center. I mean, it's really obvious. You know what you're seeing. You understand it. When you shoot this, though, this still is richer than I can imagine would ever come out of camera. It's it's got a pop to it as though you did something in post that's more than just color grading, what would you have done to this image or what do you do to these series of images? Uh, Out of curiosity, where'd you get the texture for the background? Sure. Um, The texture is actually, it's the texture is a combination of two different textures um, that I shot. I think one was an icy window and the other one was a concrete slab, I think from, from the top of my head. Um, and I just combined them to give me this this texture, slightly scratchy looking looking texture. It's um, fantastic. And that's it's exactly the same texture in in all of the images actually across the whole series um, because you know the and so is the, so is the table you know, or the the board which used to be a but shelf. The, but the texture yeah. looks different in some of them though. You're just are you changing yeah. the the overlay percentages or something to to intentionally modify it? Um, not really. No, I mean. The there's some over time, um, there's there's been sort of an evolution in in the way that I edit those and I've experimented. You know, I started with like just a pop up softbox and a speedlight. Actually, that's how I started shooting those. Um, and then you know I went on to uh, an octobox. And I tried that for a little while. You know, and some studio strobes and um, and then I've been using a beauty dish for the, with a diffusion sock for the longest time now. But there's sort of a, there's an evolution over time that happens. Some you know, some are very bright and very warm. And then I went through this phase where I just wanted to tone down the warmth of it just a tiny little bit. And 
it's just, you know, I think over time, although they all by and large, you know, I mean, they all look the same by and large, but they are sort of a gradual evolution. And I think it's just, it's just sort of a natural evolution as to how my eyes changing maybe, or what kind of mood I'm in or what's, I don't know. That, you know. Those, those subtleties though matter. And I think add a little bit of uh, uh, uniqueness, personality and distinction to each in the series. But what would you have done to you in this? In in this one, um, I think the I have I mean I have a real preference for denim because I love the way denim photographs. Um, denim and leather are probably my two. Uh, denim, leather, and wood, I would say, are my three favorite, you know, textures to uh, to photograph. And so, um, I like to bring the kind of the grittiness out in, in denim. Um, so I would have definitely you know, hiked up the the clarity in that. Um, quite a bit. They usually, you know, they go through um, a process. Uh, the, the skin retouching on this is actually, it's, it's actually quite simple, but I use an 8-bit process, um, although the, the files are 16-bit files. Um, and it's because it's, it gives the it gives the skin sort of a slightly more cartoonish vibe. So you're say. opening this as an 8-bit file or converting it? No, I'm basically I'm opening it as a 16-bit file, um, but the the process for for the skin retouching is actually a process that would ordinarily be done uh, on an 8-bit an, file. Eight file. Okay, interesting. Yeah. But uh, so it are you boosting a, saturation or vibrance? Um, maybe a little bit. Um, I sort of set up a color profile um, for this particular look um, in actually in Lightroom. You know, so what I've done is really I've I've created two presets in Lightroom. Um, it's it's what I call, and this is by the way, this this is how I make sure that they all look homogenous, you know, all the way through. So I set up a, I created a preset in Lightroom which I call pre, three ads in a row, which essentially, um, you know, as soon as the raw file comes in straight out of camera, I apply a preset and it does all the color corrections that I that I want because I want the blues to be a certain way and I want the skin tones to be a certain way. Right. Um, and um, it sort of applies some basic corrections right out of the gate. And then I move on to to Photoshop where I do a lot of the compositing. You know, I, I clean up the background because, because I'm using this pop-up um, background. You know, very often you see some of the clamps in there or there's some, there's some gaps, you know, you see the, the wall and whatever. Um, and so I, I clean all of that up and very often I also, um, extend the, the, what appears to be the table, which is just, again, just a wooden board because sometimes you see the corners and if you look in, in early images, you could actually see the corners until I got to the, to the point where I, where I thought like, well, no, I, I wanted to go from edge to edge. So often I have to extend the table right. on the sides a little bit. So I do all the compositing, um, in Photoshop, um, and the skin retouching and, um, and some, just some dodging and burning, um, and then it goes back into uh, into Lightroom, which is where I apply a second preset, which I call three S in a row post, imaginatively. Um, and what that does is, it's I've basically just created a few masks um, just to bring the iris out a little bit, um, and then there's just a, a slight enhancement. Um, on, on the face, maybe you know, just to uh, just to right. brighten it up, you know, just to draw some more attention to that, um, and the vignette. And I think that's pretty much it. Again, you know, on the on the post, it's such a cool project. 
And I've got the sample images and stuff at the website at BehindTheShot.tv. So if anybody wants to go look at, at more of them or go to three heads in a row on Instagram is a great way to do it. Speed right. round time. For these, answer right. them as fast as you want to, right? No, no time frame. You can take longer if you want, but the idea is speed run. So your top right. headshot or portrait tips. Get to know the subject. Super important. Oh, good one. What's your top don't do this for a session? Well, um, don't do 20-minute headshot sessions. Pointless. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Favorite composition rule, if any. And having seen your work, this is one I'm really interested in. If you If you have a favorite composition rule. So my favorite composition rule for portraits or for headshots in particular is actually to place the eyes just above the upper third line. Um, and don't be afraid to take the top of the head off because we all know it's there. Yeah. Okay. I heard Peter Hurley say that once before too. I love that line. <laughs> it's not like anybody is wondering, oh, his head is gone. Your favorite source of inspiration. That's a very good question, man. My favorite source of inspiration. I think it's just the world around me. Good you know, answer. I think, yeah, I think you can get ex you can get inspired by lots of different things. You know, actually, I just deviate a little bit there, but um, when you know, in a former life, when I I wrote a lot of acoustic guitar music, um, I was uh, I was. I was always thinking about well, how how can I how can I come up with the next thing? Like, what's the what's the next seed for the next piece of music, for example? And I remember um, my my daughter who was who just was just learning to walk, and she pulled herself up on a doorframe and she sort of stumbled across the living room floor, which is like a wooden floor, and it made this the sound, and she had this rhythm as she was stumbling across, and that rhythm actually became the the core rhythm to a piece that I was. That I was that I was writing. So really, you know, you can take anything and everything to to be inspired. You know, I look at, you know, I watch movies, um, and I look at you know the, a particular color grading or a particular way of lighting, and I'm fascinated by that. Much to my wife's dismay, because she went to film school and she uh, she's into script writing, and so uh, you know, I'd be like, you know, wow, look at the color grading on it. This is amazing, and she'd be like, yeah, but the dialogue's crap. So. <laughs> Speaking of which, have you seen Andor? Oh, I love it, man. Oh, it, it, that's one of the things you, you bring that up. And that's one of the things when I see Andor that I think about it, total, total rat hole there. So let's stay on that music thing. Like you created the music from, from what was happening with your child, favorite band or performer. Wow. I mean, it's incredible how, how often, um, I've been asked this, you know, and the, the truth is there isn't just one, there are many, you know, who's my favorite jazz guitarist? Oh, well, there's probably five answers to that. You know, the same as like, who's my favorite rock guitarist? Um, I tend, I tend to really deep dive into something very specific and I tend to spend quite a bit of time just Im immer immersing myself in, in this, in this one thing. Um, before I then move on to the next thing. So it might be, you know, the Foo Fighters one day, you know, or one week, let's say, and then it might be, it might be another, another dark, uh, another, you know, band the next week. So I don't know if I have 
if I have a single single favorite, I have loads of favorite ones. It's funny because Foo Fighters specifically, I play Foo Fighters on the radio constantly. And I was never a huge Foo Fighter. I love Dave Grohl. I was never a huge fan of, of Foo until I photographed this show. I've now photographed Foo Fighters three times maybe. And once you see them live, it is an experience. Really, honestly, one of the greatest live shows you'll ever see. Last speed round question. Yeah. What's your favorite drink? Uh, again, it's a very good question. I mean, I'd say, you know, strawberry daiquiris or margaritas. Actually, I have a thing for margaritas. Yeah. Okay. And I'd say margaritas. The final question, is there any photographer out there that you think more people need to know about and should follow? Oh, Dave Williams, without a shadow of a doubt. Without a shadow of a doubt. You know, I have I have very rarely... Well, okay, so actually, no, there's two. I'll tell, tell you one thing. There's two. And the reason why I admire both of them is because they both uh, display a tenacity in following their dream and, and self-improving um, that I find extremely respectable. And it's Dave Williams and Joel Grimes. Oh, um, and yes. I tell you, you know, Dave, as, as uh, listeners of your show will know probably, he, you know, he's, uh, he's taken his love for travel photography to the nth degree by literally living in a van. And yeah. you know he's built up he's built out this van, um, and he's been traveling, you know, through northern Europe and Scandinavia and the Arctic Circle and Iceland and so on and so forth. Um, and uh, and I find that that kind of commitment um, really really inspiring. So I think you know coming back to an earlier speedrun question of what inspires me the most is is probably that sort of commitment in people. I find it extremely inspiring. Um, but Joel Grimes told me a story. When I spoke to him um, as, as part of as part of the Camera Shake podcast, um, and what he said was, you know, when he was starting out, he um, set up a studio in, in in this I can't remember in Arizona somewhere I think or some some place, um, and he realized that uh, there were a lot of photographers around him who kept going out of business left, right, and center, and so he he figured out that actually, you know, marketing is extremely important and most of the photographers that went out of business, you know, thought spent a lot of time thinking about how to create images, but didn't spend a lot of time thinking about how to market their services. And so he basically started putting these rules into place for himself, whereby he, uh, you know, he he had to, he set up he had a little camping table and he put like a phone book on there and a phone and like a roller deck. And so he went like, well, every day I'm going to spend an hour phoning other companies and you know beating the bush and getting some business. And, uh, and so he did that day after day after day after day, and you know, and even to the point when you know, even to the point where he became a lot more successful, he still had that old camping table, um, and he placed it so he would block the entrance to his office so that he would be reminded every day that this is you know this is an important thing that he has to continue doing, and I, I find that you know remarkable that kind of tenacity because it's absolutely true, you know, it's just hardly anybody does it, and that's. You know, that's very often this, this is the difference between between success and failure. It's just focusing on on the right things to focus on and not get distracted. And I have a terrible knack for for 
for getting distracted by things. And, you know, by listening to people like Joel Grimes um, or, you know, by by talking to, um, you know, and then being friends with, you know, with, with Dave Williams, for example, it reigns me in and it sort of shows me the importance of dedication and, you know, and hard work and continuity and tenacity and all those things. Tenacity, exactly. Yeah, Dave, you know. it's interesting because to me, when and when you know Dave and you kind of know his history and everything, it, it's just amazing that this guy literally embedded himself into the mindset of what he wants to do, regardless of what it is. It happens to be, you know, travel type photography, but whatever it was, it, 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 whatever you do, he if if you take yourself and you embed yourself in the mindset of what you're doing it changes the end result. And in Dave's case, he is, again, I had him on with an Aurora shot once and then had him on with a landscape shot. And just an amazing guy, first of all, super nice guy, but an amazing artist. And then Joel, I had Joel on the show. And I don't know if you've seen the photo, but he's got a photo of a bunch of, it's Tombstone, Arizona, and a bunch of poker players sitting around a table. I know it. Yeah, I know it well. And I'm looking at that shot saying to him, you got light, like, under the table, like it would naturally be on the tops of their thighs, even though they're sitting underneath the table. It's, it is such a brilliant shot. And in talking to Joel Grimes, what I see in Joel is the same type of thing as Dave, embedded in the business mindset, embedded in the creative mindset, embedded in the, the photography mindset, is just an attention to the little things. It's what I call edging the lawn. Anybody can mow their lawn, but when you drive down the street and you see somebody with a really nice yard, it's usually because they took the time to edge it. And it's that. It's this attention to the little things that matter, that separate yeah. these guys. And they're both, again, go look up my episode on Joel and check out uh, the episode on Camera Shake podcast with Joel because Joel's brilliant. I mean, Joel is a brilliant guy. Yes, very, very inspiring. And, you know, the tenacity part is really important too because, you know, it's, it's a, podcasting is actually a really good example. You know, I think I've read somewhere that the vast majority, I don't know, 90%, 95% or whatever of podcasts fail within the first seven episodes or something yep. like that. Yeah. You know, it's, and it's, he, I know it's less than 10 and most yeah. never exceed, I heard somewhere most never exceed more than 100 downloads a month. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's it's one of these things where, you know, I think when when Nick and I first got started with the Camera Shake podcast, you know, it, it was out of necessity because, you know, because it was the pandemic and, um, you know, and everything was on lockdown over here in the UK and we had some really extreme lockdowns, um, and we just had to carry on being creative somehow. And so, you know, starting a podcast was sort of a thing to do, you know, but, you know, now. I think we're, I don't even know how many episodes we're in, 128 or something. something you, like that. How, by the way, how often do you release? Weekly? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So it's a, it's an episode every week. Yeah. It, you know, on one, on one hand, it sort of measures how many weeks it's been since this whole pandemic thing started, <laughs> you know, but, but on the other hand, um, it's also a thing that has just, you know, it's so much fun to do. It has just become part of, you know, part of my week, you know, it's just, it just has become part of my life, really. I've, you know, I've met so many really interesting and inspiring people through doing this, uh, doing this podcast that 
it's taught me so many different things. And hopefully, you know, that's come across to the listeners, uh, you know, as well, that it's made me a better photographer. You know, it's made me a better photographer. It's also made me a better human. <laughs> yeah. No, I, <laughs> you know. I'm right there with you. And, and you want to know what's funny? I'm curious. I'm so, we're going late here, guys. So just hang with us because this is too good to stop. I need to know something from you. Because for me, as a live music photographer, I rarely have a live music photographer on the show because I don't want people to think, oh, Steve photographs concerts. All he has is concerts. And if I have one in a year, that's the one people listen to and they, oh, it's a concert photography show. No. But I find that I learn more when I have people on that photograph what I don't. Do you feel that? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think... I've and I, I so learned from a landscape tips. photographer, in other words. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I think it's necessary in. I think in the arts in general, and it really doesn't matter. What, I think what what discipline you're, whether you're an actor or whether you're a photographer or you know whether you're a musician, for example. Um, your your personal style is it's a it's a direct result of all the influences that you gather over time. So, you know, I think as a guitarist, for example, you know, and I'm sure for those listeners who play an instrument, especially guitar, you probably attest to that. You know, you grow up listening to, you know, lots of different guitarists. You know, if you're into rock guitar, then you might listen to, to Van Halen, you might listen to Steve Vai, you know, you might listen to Joe Satriani or, or whoever. And so you learn, you know, a Van Halen solo, and then you learn a Jimi Hendrix track, and then you learn something else and something else. And, and over time, you know, over a decade of playing or a couple of decades of playing, you know, you chisel out your own personal style, which is quintessentially you. And it's really a combination of all of those different influences. And the reason why my playing style might be different from somebody else's uh, playing style is because we've thrown lots of different influences into the bucket over time. And the end result is just, you know, it's us. And, you know, the same thing is true for when you look at somebody like Jimi Hendrix, although, you know, revolution, revolutionizing guitarist, of course, he also had his own influences you know, in R&B and blues playing, um, you know, that, that are different influences from the influences of, you know, Dave Grohl, for example, or, or, or Steve Vai or whoever. And so, so I think, you know, the same thing really is true in photography. You know, what's, what makes us us is a conglomeration, you know, a sum of all of those different influences um, that we have. And, you know, even as portrait photographers, you know, looking at wildlife photography or looking at landscape photography or thinking about how a particular, you know, how Joe McNally lights a particular scene or, you know, how Annie Leibovitz poses her, her subjects or whatever, all of that can teach us things. And, you know, and it, it makes us us. And I think, you know, if you look at photography from an artistic point of view, then, you know, it's important that we inject our own personality into, into our art because otherwise we're just going to end up being copycats of, of, of somebody else. And that isn't what I call progress. <laughs> you know, you mentioned Satriani, <laughs> one of my favorite test songs of all time for, for uh, new stereo systems or headphones or whatever is I Believe from Satriani. Oh, great. Phenomenal great drum. And the, the engineering work on the drums in that track is amazing. But 
With McNally, it's interesting because like the shot that we had on was this museum piece that he did for the Nikon D850 campaign where he had lights up on a crane and everything. And I, I think about that type of thing, even though in live music photography, I'm not positioning lights. I think about it in how I compose. And when I talk to people like Dave Williams, I I better understand foreground, midground, background subject, image layering, subject layering, relationships between layers that I, again, use in composition when I'm photographing somebody that's on a stage running at 400 miles an hour from one side to the other. I can't say thanks enough. This was, and to Dave again. So here's the deal. Dave Williams, you're an amazing, amazing guy for introducing me to Kirsten. Thank you very, very much. And I owe you a scotch when I'm, when I'm over there next year. So with that out of the way, before we go, I want people to be able to find you, the podcasts, all the Instagram accounts. So first of all, where can people find you? What's your website? So my website is um, www.kirstenlutz.com. Um, that's my headshot website. Uh, but if you're interested in the Camera Check podcast, uh, you can head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the good platforms that harbor awesome podcast of course and of course youtube youtube.com forward slash camera shake i think it's just camera shake uh youtube is camera shake podcast i looked up T youtube oh, tiktok okay. and facebook camera shake podcast there's a website too by the way camera shake podcast.com yeah and then instagram you don't have a personal instagram one right it's just three heads in a row and camera shake podcast no i do have a personal um instagram it's, it's called it's at kirsten lutz which is okay. just my name um okay. that's it's a little bit it's just my playground it's just where I put everything that's got nothing to do with three ads in a row, I guess. And then uh, <laughs> yeah. Kirsten Photo on Twitter and Shake Camera on Twitter. Yes. Yeah. So I'm. that's right. How long are we going to be on Twitter for? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever's happening with that. It's We're, we're, we're shorting the Twitter uh, lifespan right now. Yeah, definitely. So uh, no, no, no. basically people can find you anywhere. But again, yeah. Uh, Kirsten, I cannot say thank you enough for doing this. I really appreciate it, man. I mean, it's been an absolute pleasure, Steve. And uh, hopefully I'll be, you know, I'll be welcoming you on the Camera Shake podcast in the not too distant future. It would maybe. be absolutely my pleasure. Make sure you check out Kirsten's work, kirstenlutz.com. The three heads in a row on Instagram, Camera Shake podcast. Check out all the back catalog too. A lot of people start listening to new podcasts and they only listen to the upcoming shows. But again, he has already, uh, he and Nick have already had huge amounts of, you know, well over 100 episodes of top, top photographers. Of course, this show, you can find wherever you get your podcasts, video or audio only, uh, you know, Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google, whatever it is, you can go find it there. If you like it, please drop us a star rating and a review. That would be great. The show notes are all always at the podcast website. It's behindtheshot.tv. The links are at behindtheshot.tv. There's a limit on YouTube of what you can put in a description. So I don't always put all the show notes there, but if you head over to YouTube, you'll find all the links there. Please subscribe, hit the bell, bang the bell, do all of that type stuff. Kirsten Lutz, thank you so very much. And to everybody else, Please make sure that you join us each and every show as we try and get inside the mind of a great photographer by taking a closer look behind the shot. 